This morning we are uh, continuing our 82-week series in Philippians. <laughs> that was a joke. Called Unexpected Weeks is that you need to be in a place where you are choosing the joy of the Lord in your life. We also said strive for unity, unity in the church. And when we do that, that brings joy, treating others better than yourselves. And joy comes from serving, and joy comes from sacrificing, and joy comes by taking the road of humility. And last week we talked and we learned that God exalts the humble. God exalts the humble. Jesus was the model example of humility to us where, where he emptied himself from the throne of heaven to come to earth in the form of man. And not just any man, not somebody who was born in wealth and not somebody who was born in royalty, but instead he, he chose, chose to, to lower himself into poverty. And Paul tells us that for this reason, God highly exalted him from every lowly position that Jesus decided to take, right? So Jesus chose to, to lower himself. He chose to empty himself from the throne of heaven and be born in a dirty cave. And so what God did is God hyper-exalted him by welcoming him back to the majesty of heaven. Jesus, who had people accuse him and reject him and spit on him, Jesus, who had a whole lot of people mock him, right? Now, at the end, he is going to come back, right? And he's going to return, not as this lowly servant, not as this person who is defeated in death, but he's going to return victoriously, riding on a white horse, and he's going to be holding this banner, and the banner isn't going to read just, oh, the king of the Jews. The banner is going to read, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And while all of those people mocked Jesus in the past, and while people in your life mock Jesus today, while people in your life say that Jesus is nothing, that he's not powerful, that he's not alive, while all these people in your life mock this Jesus, and while they blaspheme this Jesus, God has hyper-exalted our Jesus by rightfully giving him the name which is above every single name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God exalts the humble. And if he exalted Jesus from every lowly position that he took, he will exalt you, what Scripture says, in his perfect time. If we would take the road of humility. There was a little boy who used to go to our church and um, he was taking karate lessons. And the sensei said, okay, I need everyone to bow. And he would not bow. And um, through the whole class, he would not bow to his partner or bow to the sensei. And so they had to get his dad involved. And um, so the dad went over to his son. He said, hey, 
why aren't you bowing to the sensei? And this five-year-old said, I only bow to Jesus. This morning, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 to 18. Philippians 2, 12 to 18. If you have a blue Bible, it's on page 185. There's a, there's a couple things that I want to um, encourage you to do. One is to bring a Bible, like, like, a, like a book, like, like bring, your, bring your Bible. Um, I have nothing against iPads and, and, and your phone, but it's really hard and tempting when that snap message comes through or that notification comes through. It's kind of distracting, and uh, someone recently told me that the announcement cards are great, but there's not enough space to write any notes. So bring a journal and bring a pen, bring a highlighter, and because uh, we're diving into some deep stuff here, and it's important to, to take some notes. All right, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You know, Paul is telling the Philippians, he's saying, listen, I hope you are living worthy of the gospel. Not, not just when I'm around, but especially now that I'm not even with you. And I want to ask you this question, who are you when no one's watching? Who, who are you when no one is looking? When, when you're not at church, who are you? When you're not at youth group, who, who are you? When, when, you're, when you're with your friends outside of this place, who are you? When your parents aren't around, who are you? And it's really easy for us to play the part in a setting like this but when everyone is gone, who are you? I mean, when everyone is gone, are you an addict to drinks or to gambling or to smoking or to vaping or to drugs or to weed or something harder? All right, when you're not in this place and when you're outside these walls, are you a skeptic? Are you, are you a doubter? Are you a gossiper? When you leave this place, do you just blend in with the world so much so that no one would even believe that you're a Christ follower? There's a lot of people who think that they can compartmentalize their lives, right? They, they think that they can live one way at work and one way at school and one way at home and I can be somebody totally different on Sundays. Is that you this morning? Trying to compartmentalize your life in such a way that you don't even know who you really are. I want to tell you that you need to be careful about how you live, and that's what Paul is saying. You need to be careful about how you live when you're on your own, right? When the pastor isn't around, when 
Glad Tidings leadership isn't around, when your youth leader isn't around, when a parent isn't around, you need to be careful how you live. Are you living your life worthy of the gospel? So who are you when no one's looking? You know, I've heard a lot of stats over the years that say there's a whole lot of teens who they've grown up in the youth group, and, and, and when they get to college, they fall away from God altogether. And for so many years, my assumption has always been that professors who have these PhDs, they, they've turned these kids away from God. Or some people say that, you know, while they were growing up in youth group, their, their foundation was never grounded in Scripture. But I just recently heard that they've surveyed churched college students who walked away from their faith not because of their professors and not because of the lack of knowledge that was given to them in youth group. The reason why so many college students are falling away, their reasoning was because of their parents. Because the person who they saw at church on Sunday morning wasn't the same person that they saw at home. So while their parents were able to come on a Sunday morning and say, yes, Lord, I'm asking you for forgiveness. I receive your forgiveness. I receive everything that you have for me at home. They weren't willing to extend grace and mercy and love to their own kids. And so I hope this question haunts you this week. Who are you outside of these walls? Are you a different person out there or are you still a Christ follower out there? Are you seeking to do his will above all things in your life out there? Are you a worshiper inside here and outside there? Do you pray in here and out there? And do your kids see that? Do your kids see it? Paul, he goes on to say, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I want you to know that Paul says, work out your salvation. He's not saying, work for your salvation. That's not what he's saying. This is not, I'm going to be a good person, or I'm going to try to do some good things. I'm going to be nice and kind to everybody so that I can get to heaven. And if that's what you think, then what you're saying is that Jesus' work on the cross wasn't enough. Work out your salvation. Anyone here like to work out? Jay. <laughs> How many of you have a gym membership? All right. How many of you have a gym membership that you never use? Those are the honest people right there. There's a saying that says, when I feel the urge to exercise, I lie down until the feeling passes. Okay? That's me. Gym memberships are this lucrative business right now. There are billions and billions of dollars spent every year worldwide on gym memberships. But did you know that 80% will quit after five months? 
I heard someone once say, my first workout in a year was great. I did 15 minutes on the treadmill, 10 minutes on the defibrillator, and three days in the hospital. I mean, people have really good intentions when it comes to working out, but after a while, they quit, right? And they quit because it's hard. It's not easy. It hurts. And when it comes to our spiritual lives, we need to exercise our spiritual faith. We need to work out what God has worked inside of us. And that's not easy. It takes a whole lot of hard work to do that. I want to tell you this morning that Christianity is not just this decision that I make to make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior. It's a determination to walk with Jesus and have him be master and Lord of my life. A lot of people get this wrong. They, they think that I can ask Jesus into my heart. I can ask Jesus into my life. I can get my ticket stamped to go to heaven and I could go back doing whatever it was that I was doing. That's not what following Jesus is about. It's about turning away from your sin. It's about living for Jesus every day. It's about seeking him every day. It's about being with him every day. And so if you don't exercise your salvation, then you're on the verge of becoming what so many people have become a pew potato, someone who just lounges, someone who's just a spectator, somebody who's not a doer of the word. So work out your salvation. It actually says work out your own salvation and the words your own are not singular, it's a plural statement. And so Paul is calling the entire church together to work together the salvation that's been put inside of you. The intention is that the church would work together with the salvation that they already have. And this is why it's important for you to be a part of a life group, because growth happens in community. Put your salvation to work. See, works aren't going to get you saved. Doing nice things aren't going to help you any. It's not going to get you into heaven. Once you've asked Jesus into your heart and you've been living for him, Paul says in the previous section, he says, Seek to be like him. Be a servant to other people. Sacrifice for the sake of others. And now he's saying, let your salvation together be put to work. Allow the salvation experience inside of all of you be at the heart of who you are and do this with fear and trembling. Live your lives working together following Jesus as your number one priority. So work out your salvation together. Put your salvation to work by sacrificing your time, by sacrificing your resources, by sacrificing your money, by serving others together. And you can only do this by living a life of humility. And so this is how you can work together Verse 14, 
do all things without grumbling, complaining, or arguing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children, and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Do all things without grumbling or arguing. You know, in the Greek, Paul uses this word. It's a weird word. It's called gongusman. Gongusman. I don't know what that is. Gongusman. But he uses this word to say, stop complaining and stop arguing. And, and this word gongusman is kind of interesting because it's rarely used in the New Testament at all, but it's used many times in the Greek Bible to describe Israel's wandering in the desert. And so while we talk about Israel's wandering, I, I wonder if the Lord is speaking to some of us about our own situation here. So pay really close attention to their story and think about how our story right now kind of mirrors theirs. The children of Israel, you remember, they were in brutal slavery in Egypt for 430 years. And here they are, and, and they start crying out to God for their freedom. And God hears their cry. And after 10 plagues, Pharaoh releases the children of Israel. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh realizes what he's done, and he goes after them. He chases the children of Israel down to the Red Sea. And here are the children of Israel, right? The Red Sea is in front of them, and Pharaoh's army is behind them. And what do they do? The people start to gongusmen. Okay? They start to complain. They start to argue, and this is what they say. They say, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? And then, of course, Moses, he, he puts his staff in the water, and the waters part, and the Israelites walk on dry ground, and the Egyptians chase them. And the waters return and they drown the enemies of Israel. I mean, what an amazing experience that they've all had. And here they are and they're wandering in the desert and they continue with their gongus mending. And this is what they say, right? I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. And I'm sure this statement came from the desert. Are we there yet? Where are we going? Moses, do you even know what you're doing? Moses, I think we passed that rock at least 24 times already. And in spite of all of God's miracles in their lives, right? Manna from heaven. Water coming out of a rock, the visible presence of God leading them, they continue to show their lack of trust in God by muttering and complaining and arguing. And Paul says, don't be like them. Don't be like them. Because Moses would describe these people as a crooked and perverse generation. 
all starting with their complaining. A crooked and perverse generation is what Moses calls them. Let's keep reading. Let's start again from verse 14. Do all things without grumbling and arguing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. You know, Paul, he's describing this world, his world, as this crooked and perverse and depraved generation. You think that describes our world today? I mean, as you look around your world, would you say that it's crooked, that it's perverted, that it's depraved? I mean, even after 2,000 years, it's only gotten worse, right? Jesus, he says to Nicodemus, he says, the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. You know, this world that we live in is, man, it is morally bent. It is spiritually deformed. It's twisted and it is a dark world. Which means that the conditions for us to shine have never been better. Because the darker it gets, the brighter our lights can shine. And I hear people complaining sometimes saying, man, but the world is so dark, then shine brighter. Shine brighter. How many of you have ever had those glow-in-the-dark toys? Anyone? Three people have had glow-in-the-dark toys. Man, I used to love those, anything that was glow-in-the-dark. I used to love those things. Maybe you got your kids some of those glow-in-the-dark stars that you put on their ceilings in their bedroom. You ever think about how those glow-in-the-dark things work? Right? If you take the toy out of the package and put it in a dark room, it may not even glow at all. And it's because that toy was in darkness for far too long. But if you take your glow-in-the-dark object and you, and you put it underneath a lamp, when it's dark, your toy, it, it, it glows brightly. And so I had to look this up. I was like, how does this thing even work? And so there's this substance called a phosphor that's embedded in these toys. And these phosphors, they absorb the energy from the light source. And when the object is away from the light, it begins to emit that energy as visible light, which is the glow that you and I see. And that glow that you see, it's called persistence. And the persistence from the object that's glowing is directly related to the time that's spent at the source of its energy. How many of you know where I'm going with this? So the longer the object is in the presence of the source, the more persistence the object will have. That was a little confusing. The same thing goes for us. 
For us to glow, we need to be close to Jesus. We need to spend time with Jesus. We need to be in fellowship with Jesus. We need to be in proximity with Jesus. And then all of that warmth and all of the the growth that we experience will allow you to have persistence to shine brightly in this wicked and depraved and perverse and dark world. And so this morning, I want to ask you this important question. In dealing with all of this, how well do you glow in the dark? How well are you glowing in the dark? How intense is your persistence? You know, it's not enough for you just to let your light shine right here in this place, just when we gather together, there is an expectation from Jesus that you recharge yourself at home so that you can shine brightly in this dark world. How well do you glow in the dark? I want you to know that light is so important for us, isn't it? It provides photosynthesis to allow us allow plants and living things to grow. Light light can reveal the path out of darkness. Light reveals what darkness tries to hide, right? Light exposes dirt. Light exposes the mess. That's what light does. And I'm going to close with this, and I'm going to ask Tim if you would come forward and our communion team, if you would prepare yourselves this morning. There, there are two ways that you can glow brightly. One is your attitude, and the other is your action. Do all things without complaining or arguing. It deals with your attitude. I made a discovery this week. Do all things without complaining and grumbling means... Do all things without complaining and arguing. Does anyone know what complaining is? All of you know what complaining is. Because all of us do it. And this word literally means to mutter. To mutter under your breath. Gosh, so cold in here. And then disputing or arguing is vocalizing what you're muttering. It's letting other people in on what you have a problem with. You know, I'm, I'm yet to find somebody who was able to win someone to Jesus because they had a bad attitude. Have you ever known anyone who was able to complain somebody into the kingdom? I don't think so. You know, the world is watching. The world is watching us as a church. And the world is watching you as a Christ follower. And your kids are watching you as a Christ follower. And to be a complaining believer is just bad advertising for Jesus and his kingdom. I mean, why would any unbeliever want to do what you're doing if you call yourself a Christ follower, if all you ever do is complain and argue. 
I mean, they're thinking, why would I follow a God who obviously doesn't treat you very well? That's what they're thinking. Why would I follow that Jesus? The more you complain and argue, the less you will be able to glow in the dark. So how do you glow in the dark? The second way to glow in the dark is found in verse 16. Verse 16, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Hold fast to the truth that is found in the word of God. Many of us don't shine well because we don't hold on to the word. There is this magazine that I get every month, and uh, in last month's issue, the cover page says, Biblical Illiteracy, a Problem in the American Church. And the stats of how many people don't hold on to this is staggering. For those who say that this is truth, and this can bring life, and there's nourishment in this, but we don't hold fast, we don't hold tightly, is astonishing. I want you to know this morning that you can have intense persistence. You can have this deep, intense glow if you can manage to spend some time holding on to the Word. Not somebody else's devotional. Not somebody else's book. But your own time in the Word. That's how you glow brightly. If you want your light to shine brightly, then what the Scripture says is, hold fast the Word of life. And this idea of holding fast isn't just holding tightly, there's an, uh, this understanding that there's this holding out, hold out the Word of God. And the idea says, hold tight so you know some stuff and hold out what you believe. Show the world what you believe. In other words, start walking your talk. Start walking your talk. So the challenge for us this morning is this. At some point, we need to put words, we need to put words how we came out of the darkness and into the light. We need to put to words how that happened, and we need to tell other people how that happened. And so I've got another challenge for those of you who are undercover, secret Christ followers here. My challenge to you is blow your cover. Let the secret out. Let someone know what heaven is all about. Let someone know how Jesus has changed you. Let someone know what he's done for you. Because there is somebody that you know who is dying to know about the forgiveness of Jesus. There is somebody in your life who is dying to know about the love of Jesus.
who is dying to know. There is somebody who you know who is dying to know about who this Jesus really is. Paul says in Romans, he says, how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? If you want an intense persistence, if you want to glow brightly in this dark world, then spend some time with Jesus outside of these walls. Have the right attitude. Hold tightly to the Word. Hold fast to the Word by sharing that truth with somebody else. This is what God is calling us to. This is what he's calling us to this morning, to glow brightly in this dark world, to spend some time at the source of our energy so that the mess in our lives would be revealed and we could clean that up with him. God is calling us to spend some time at the source of our energy so that we can help those who are stuck in darkness find their way out and experience his marvelous light. Let's pray together this morning. Lord Jesus, we just thank you, God, for the challenge that you have set before us. God, give us the boldness that comes from your Holy Spirit to be your witnesses at our workplaces, at our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our families. God, help us to hold fast the truth. Help us to hold tightly onto your truth. God, would you give us an appetite for your word? God, give us a craving to be in your presence. And in the midst of that, God, when we go out into the world, God, would you help us to shine brightly and lead other people out of the darkness. We pray this in your name.